Thank you for listening to the preaching ministry of Oxford Baptist Church with our pastor, Andy Brown. We pray you'll be blessed as you apply these truths to your life. Have you ever been around a person who has a musical ear? I'm not talking about someone who can play by ear. I'm talking about someone who can pick out the difference between flats and sharps. They really have a musical ear. I have a friend of mine who has a dad who's a band director, been a band director for about 30-plus years up in a town in North Georgia. And one time, my friend's dad was attending a concert, and everyone was enjoying the concert, and he was sitting in the audience, and someone came up to him afterwards and said, Well, how did you enjoy the concert? And he said, Well, it was great except for one thing. What's that? Well, the third trumpet was sharp the entire time. And when I heard that, I was in awe. I was like, how in the world, out of all the brass, the woodwinds, the percussion, the strings, how on earth could this man sit in the audience from a position of, of onlooking and say that the third trumpet the whole time was sharp? But he did. And he was right. He has this kind of amazing ability, and there was only one answer why he could do that. One reason. He was able to pick out a flat from a sharp from the third trumpet sitting in the third row of the 45-piece orchestra, whatever the case may be, because he knew how it should have sounded. By his practice, he has tuned his ear to know the difference between something that's in tune and something that's out of tune. Today, we get the privilege of starting Matthew chapter 6. and If you have your Bible, go ahead with me and join over there with Matthew chapter 6. and We're continuing our study of the Lord's Sermon on the Mount. And realistically, from the beginning of the year, and when we started Matthew chapter 5 in the beginning of January, we've, we've come a long way on our journey. But we're really not done yet. And by the way, I hope that no one's in a hurry this morning. I hope that when we think about our engagement with Scripture and We're taking advantage of all the opportunities that we're giving at Oxford for discipleship, whether it be through our Super Sundays one time a month where we get together for prayer and through devotion, or whether it's through your own personal time or coming to our growth groups in the morning. We're getting a full-orbed understanding of this picture of discipleship and preaching. Even though it's exposition, it's another way of discipleship. And so I really hope that no one is in a hurry. Because realistically, as we sit here, we have the rest of our lives to climb the text. And realistically, even in eternity, we're never going to make it all the way to the top. I once heard a pastor describe eternity and describe our life as all along life. We're ascending the hill of the Lord, and then we finally make it to heaven. We finally make it to where we're with the Lord, and in eternity... Even in eternity, we'll never reach the top of knowing God in a full sense. Yeah, we'll know Him better than we've ever known Him, but there's always going to be this distinction between who He is, and that's God, and who we are. And that distinction is going to last for all eternity. And I heard a pastor put it this way, is if we think that we've reached another level, even in eternity, we think that we've reached a new level, height of knowing God. We'll reach the top of whatever mountain we've ascended and we'll look out and there's this vastness 
of mountain ranges ready to be climbed. And that's eternity. Knowing God. So I hope that you're not in a hurry this morning. Because we get to practice every week to calm ourselves by hearing the Word of the Lord. And what a joy it really is to know the Lord. Let's read the Bible together. Hear the Word of the Lord from Matthew 6. Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. For then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Thus, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may be praised by others. Truly I say to you that they have received their reward. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues at the street corners, that they may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room, shut the door, pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward. Let's pray together. Father, we love you. We love your word. Teach us your word this morning. The power of the Holy Spirit. In the name of the Son. Through the glory of the Father. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We're studying the Sermon on the Mount at Oxford. We're about 26, 27 weeks in. And this Sermon on the Mount is a picture. It's a picture of this new life that Jesus is bringing to a world that's full of death. He's bringing as light to a world full of darkness, hope in the midst of hopelessness. And at the center of this new life is Jesus. At the center of this new life is the life of Jesus who's come. And we know why He's come. He's come to love, heal, cleanse, forgive, to make all things new, even me and you. And as He comes, what does He do? He bids us to come and follow Him. Yeah, the Sermon on the Mount is about your life, but it's never just about your life. It's not just habitudes. It's not just do better, polish the penny a little bit and make it shine. It's not just about those things. It's about your life, but it's never just about your life. Listen, the Sermon on the Mount is our life with Him. It's a life that Jesus has secured by giving His own life so that we could be all that He's called us to. So that He could take us and bring us to Himself. Look at Matthew chapter 5. Look at the sermon. Matthew chapter 5, what's it do? We've talked about this. 
We always need to anchor ourselves in what God is saying so that we'll know what He is saying. Matthew chapter 5 gives us this glimpse of the character that Christ is forming in those who love Him. Look at those, those wonderful blessed statements in Christ coming to fulfill the law and then living in light of the fulfillment of this law in areas like anger, lust, divorce, retaliation, on and on it goes. And here again at chapter 6, it's like a hammer coming down. As the Lord reminds us, if it wasn't enough for Matthew chapter 5, we could just spend all of our lives trying to live out Matthew chapter 5. We could just close it and move on. But that's not the Lord's intentions. He keeps going to Matthew chapter 6. And if Matthew 5 wasn't enough, here we have chapter 6 to come and hammer us, to remind us that just being religious is not enough. Just being religious is not enough. It's not okay for us to look okay on the outside. Here's the real danger that Christ warns us about in chapter 6. We can be very religious. Listen closely. We can be very religious. We can read our Bibles. We can attend discipleship. We can give to the needy. We can be a preacher. We can be a Sunday school teacher, a deacon. We can sing in the choir. We can be here every time the doors are open. Pray. Fast. Whatever else you want to ascribe to your religious life. You can do all those things and still miss an eternity with God. You see, what matters with God is not only what we do, but why we do. Did you hear that? Not what we do, that matters. But what matters more is why we do it. Can you feel the weight there? Can you feel the weight of that? God knows not only what you do, why it is you do what you do. It may look great on the outside. You may even gain the praise of of men. You may even fool yourself. But God knows your heart. Imagine if you and I were gathered at a music hall to hear one of the greatest pieces ever written for piano. Imagine if we're gathered there and we hear Beethoven's Moonlight Sonata. We're all our connoisseurs of music. We're all gathered together. We're expecting an excellent performance. The hall is filled. We're all dressed for the occasion. Everyone is ready. The lights are turned down low. The lights are filling the music hall with a, with a red glow as they bounce off the tapestries. We're in the balcony all together, and in the center down below is this wooden stage. There's a piano lit by a single spotlight. All of a sudden, the pianist comes out on the stage. She's greeted on the stage with cheers of anticipation as we're all ready to hear this song. And she sits down to the piano, places her hands on the keys. We hear the first note. As soon as we hear it, we know something. The piano that she's playing is severely out of tune. It's all 
of a sudden our anticipation is turned from longing and we're in disgust. Because even though this pianist is a great pianist, she's playing an excellent piece of music, there's something wrong with what it is she's playing. She's playing something, the right song. This is the interesting thing. God desires to fill the earth with the melody of His praise through you and me. Yeah, we know what Joel says, that He's going to fill the earth with the knowledge of the Lord as water covers the sea. And you know how He does that? Through redemption. He does that through taking Broken vessels like me and you, whose lives were out of tune, who realistically we didn't even have, we didn't even know that there was such a song like the one that He lets us sing, that He has called us to sing. And then all of a sudden He takes our lives, He molds us, and He makes us. And then He uses you and me to fill the earth with the knowledge of the Lord. He fills the earth with the knowledge of the Lord through redeeming us and taking broken vessels like us and using us to sing His glory. You see, Christ has come not only to give us the greatest song to sing, but prepare our lives to sing that song in the most beautiful way. And that preparation, all of you, by the way, if you are in Christ, all of you right now are undergoing that preparation. You know what we call it in preacher talk and church talk and theological talk, the language of the Bible? It's this word called sanctification. It's this word where God is taking us and making us holy. He is setting us apart for Himself to use. He is preparing us here for an eternity forever with Him. Everything in your life, everything in my life is for this. He is preparing you right now in the midst of everything that you're going through for an eternal weight of glory. And if only you and I could live with a vision of our lives. Oh, listen, there's days that are going to come as He's preparing you. There's days that are going to come that are going to be discouraging. There are going to be days that are going to be filled with hurt. Pain, sorrow, joy, peace. Everything in your life is God taking you and preparing you for glory. If we could only realize, as Paul says in 2 Corinthians, that this light, momentary affliction, no matter how difficult it may be, it's a light, momentary affliction that is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. And here's the struggle. Listen to the next part of the verse. 
as we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient. But the things that are unseen are eternal. So God is calling us to center our pursuits. He's calling us to make sure that our hearts are in tune with His praise. And in this passage in Matthew chapter 6, I believe that there are three ways God gives us for us to tune our hearts. Before we begin, I want to encourage you as we dig into this text, I want to invite you to to look at them with me. To learn them with me. To write them down. To be ready and prepared right now for God to take you where you are and move you in the direction of you being all that God wants you to be. Are you ready? Number one, if we're going to live our life in tune with God, number one, you're going to have to feel the tension of life in Christ. Already some of you are are already gone, I know. Tension. Tension and life with Christ? Whoa, whoa. I don't want any tension, preacher. Just talk about peace, love, all of these things. And we are. But all of that comes through us feeling the tension of life with Christ. Think about our confession. Think about it just for a minute. We know, as Christians, there's certain things that we know. For example, we know as Christians that we are made for another world. This is why nothing in this world satisfies. We live in this world with this knowledge that there's nothing that can satisfy, and so we face all sorts of difficulties. We face all sorts of hardships. Yeah, we have the knowledge of how things are, but we also know how things will be. Plus, we have our own experience as we struggle with this vision to remember that there's more to this world than meets the eye. There's an eternity awaiting us beyond what we can know and see. And so we, we struggle with this in our own experience. And as Christians, we know that God is preparing a place for us. And the place that He's preparing is, is wonderful. Paul says, eye has not seen, ear has not heard, the mind has not even imagined all that God is preparing for those who love Him. And that's the best that we can do. The best theologian that ever lived, the Apostle Paul, when he's asked what's heaven going to be like, he said, I have no idea, but it's going to be great. We know that he's preparing this wonderful place, mansions and glory is an image that the text uses streets of gold, pearly gates, no more sorrow, no more hurt, no more shame or regret, a forever with the Lord. There'll be no need for lawyers, no need for doctors, no need for preachers. I'm glad you didn't say amen there. I was wondering. Good. No more need for psychiatrists. No more need for medication. 
contracts to sign, to bind your word. I can't wait. But the truth is, is we have to wait, don't we? We have to wait. Can you feel the tension? Between knowing how good it's going to be one day and then looking around and thinking, what it is is not only what it is, it's not what it's going to be. Can you feel the tension? You see, this is the tension caused by knowing two extremes. What it is and what it will be. And if we weren't aware of the tension before, Matthew chapter 6 is here to remind us of the tension. Look at what it says. Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. How are we to make sense of what our Lord is saying when He says beware of practicing your righteousness before others with what He said earlier in Matthew chapter 5 and verse 16. You remember what He said over there. He said, let your light so shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. How do we make sense of this? Jesus says, live your faith before others. And then He says, be careful about living your faith before How do we make sense of this? Now some of you, may not see a distinction. Some of you might. But we still have to ask the question, what are we to do? Are we to live out our faith or not? And the answer is, of course. We are to live out our faith before others. But how we live out our faith before others is what concerns the Lord. Listen carefully. It's not enough to live out our faith We have to live out our faith in the right way. It's not enough for me to smile at you while I'm up here. Then as soon as I finish preaching, get in the car and talk to my wife and kids as if they're dogs. It doesn't make sense. God sees you in secret. And He knows your heart. And even the good that you do, if it's not done with the right motives, is not good to God. So what are we to do? Listen carefully. We are to feel the weight of His glory and trust in His grace. Live with the weight. Feel the weight of His glory and trust in His grace. Go ahead, believer. If you are a believer, live with the overwhelming awareness of the presence of God in your life. You and I cannot escape His presence. You see, there's a guy in the Old Testament, an inspired author by the name of King David. You remember King David? King David wrote a bunch of the Psalms. One of the favorite that I think that feels the tension of this Wait, he sings the tune of a man who feels the tension of this life with God is Psalm 139. Listen, listen to how it opens. Listen to what it says. O Lord, You have searched me and know me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, You know it altogether. 
You hem me in behind and before and lay your hand upon me. And then David says, such knowledge is too wonderful to me. It is high. And I cannot attain it. Where shall I go from your spirit? Or where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me, and your right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me, and the light about me be night, even the darkness is not darkness to you. The night is bright as day. For darkness is as light with you. Then listen to how it ends. Listen to what he says in the end. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. And see if there be any grievous way in me. And lead me in the way everlasting. Do you feel the tension? The light in the tension. Be overwhelmed by God's presence. And number two this morning, practice righteousness. Practice righteousness. Notice in Matthew chapter 6, just notice just a few things. Jesus takes things for granted when He's talking to His followers. He takes a few things for granted. He takes it for granted that we'll pray He takes for granted that we'll fast. He takes for granted that we'll give. Did you see that? He takes it for granted that we'll do those things. This should clue us on to something. This should let us know that there are certain things that Christians do. And when we do these things, the reason we do these things is so that we can keep our confession that there's more to this life than meets the eye. Our Lord takes us through each of these as we go through the sermon. But each of these are indicators of the more that you and I are confessing. Now listen carefully. Don't miss this. These things are not the things in and of themselves. The things, prayer, fasting, giving, all of those, they're not what we're pursuing. They're not ends in and of themselves. They cue us into the hope that we confess as we do them. People say things, and maybe you've heard this, and Hopefully we'll correct this as we go through. People say things like prayer changes things. Well, that's not the whole story. Prayer's not the end all. We're not pursuing prayer. We're pursuing the God who answers prayer. Do you hear me? Prayer's not the end all as if prayer is some kind of magical thing. Prayer's not magic. It's an opportunity for us to, on this side of heaven, confess that there is a God in heaven who is orchestrating the world according to His desires and who responds to the prayer of His people. A God who hears our prayers and responds to our prayers. That's the reason we pray. We pray, we fast, we give all to tell our own hearts and to tell every heart who's looking on that there is an eternity that's waiting all men. And we do what we do because we are motivated by God. Our practicing righteousness is an overflow 
of our desire. A desire that He has given us so that our desire would be to be with Him. We practice these things here. Listen carefully. As long as we're away from Him. Don't overcomplicate things as we think about how we should live and how we should act. Don't overcomplicate things. Just practice righteousness. It's not complicated. I think I struggle sometimes with trying to overcomplicate things and overthink things and don't overthink things. Don't analyze to paralyze, one of my mentors tells me. Just just do. Just be. Just live your faith. Don't be a hypocrite. This is Jesus' word. Be genuine. I love the word hypocrite, by the way. Did you know that the word hypocrite is a Greek word? No surprise there, right? It's a Greek word. And you know what a hypocrite is? A hypocrite was a Greek word that was used for a a man or a woman who was on the stage and played a part. We call them actors. I don't read too much into that and start writing somebody and say all actors are hypocrites, but the word literally means someone who stands on a stage and plays a part. That's what a hypocrite is. A hypocrite is someone playing a part for the praise of God. Men. And here's the danger to avoid and why feeling the tension of the Christian life is important. Listen, if you don't feel the tension in every area of your life, what you say, when to say, how to say, what to watch, when to watch, go here, go there. If you don't feel the tension in every area of your life, then you are prone to hypocrisy. No one wants to be a hypocrite. At Oxford, we don't want to be known in the community as a church full of hypocrites. So what do we do? We, we have things like membership orientation class and we encourage one another to pursue Jesus. We have church discipline and all of the... We don't want to be hypocrites in the community. We don't want to have that as what we're known by. We want to be known as people who love Jesus more than we love anything else. Nobody wants to be a Hypocrite. And so when you feel this tension in your life, this tension is a good thing because you know what it does? It forces us to not section off our lives like an actor who changes roles in a play. We go to church and we act one way. We get in our cars and we act another way. As if we just forget all thoughts that there is a God who is an all-consuming God. He will not be sectioned off into little sections of your life. You know what that's called? If you have a God that you can section off into your life, then you know who you're worshiping? You're worshiping yourself. You're worshiping a God that's made in your image. You take Him and you pull Him out of your pocket, whether it's whatever money or whoever it is, you pull the God out of your pocket and you say, hmm, I'm going to rub this little thing and here there's a genie that pops up. And that's, that's a God made in somebody's image. Nobody wants that. But here's the truth. Here's the truth. When you feel the tension and not section off your life, then you can practice righteousness. Live one way, not two ways. Live a life of righteousness, not a life of hypocrisy. You see that word righteousness there? Beside the word hypocrisy, do you see that? That word righteousness? We've already seen that word. It's the same word that Jesus says in Matthew chapter 5 and verse 20 where He says, unless your righteousness...
seeds, that of the hypocrites, oh, excuse me, the scribes and the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of God. One author calls that word righteousness covenant behavior. I love that. It's how those who are formed in the image of God act on a daily basis. Righteousness. Righteousness is that thing that when we gave our lives to Jesus, Jesus gives us righteousness. Righteousness is what we are receiving day by day. And the reason that we're receiving righteousness day by day is because righteousness is the only thing that will last forever. So don't overcomplicate things. Be overwhelmed by an all-consuming God and just do something. Do something. Now listen carefully. You should be real concerned about your motives, but don't let the concern, listen to me, don't let the concern for your motives paralyze you from doing something. Because here's the subtlety. If your fear of doing something with the wrong motives keeps you from doing anything for God, then you know what? just as guilty as a hypocrite that God's condemning here. You know why? Here's the reason. You have an inferiority complex. And you know where an inferiority complex comes from? And I struggle with this all the time. You know what it comes from? At the root of having an inferiority complex or a perfectionist complex, whatever the case may be, all those complexes hinder your effectiveness. And the reason why it hinders your effectiveness and fruitfulness, the reason why is because you're too focused on yourself. I'm too focused on myself. And the focus on myself is the root of hypocrisy. I'm a stage actor playing on a stage, wanting the approval of man, wanting to think myself better than some, or whatever the case may be. How can I be rid of myself when I'm consumed with myself? Matthew chapter 6 is here. Jesus comes with this chapter calling us to focus on Jesus, not ourselves, to live out our faith in the love of God because you and I were created to live. And living, listen to me, living is seeking approval. Wait a minute, you're, you're, you're confusing me. You just said that I'm supposed to live in this way and not be concerned about other things. Now you're telling me to live seeking approval? Yes. But whose approval? God's. The approval of the crowd? The approval of yourself as your left hand congratulates your right hand for giving? No! The approval that we seek must be God's. Number three this morning. If we're to live a life tuned to God, we will, number three, seek heaven's reward. Seek heaven's reward. You say, wait, wait, wait. You're telling us to not be consumed with ourselves, but you're telling ourselves to seek a reward. That doesn't make sense. Some of you don't believe me. I want you to look and underscore, just, just with your finger or your pencil, whatever, just look. See the word reward there in verse 1? Look at there, it comes again in verse 4. And then look again. I think I see it there in verse 6. You see? And then, oh, there it is again in verse 5. Reward. Oh, there it is again in verse 2. It's everywhere. You see that? Reward. 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 This is why the prosperity gospel is so popular. We're all meant to pursue somebody's approval. And there's still an idea 
Hopefully it's not in this church, but there's still an idea. And hopefully it's not in your heart, but there's still an idea of a joyless Christian life. If something is fun, oh, that must not be Christian. That must not please God. Let's not do that because it's fun. I feel a little excitement in me. Ooh, I need to go pray that out. That's not what Christianity is. So what do people do? Understand this. Follow with me. What do people do? They delight in not delighting. So they miss the point that they're still delighting in something. They're just delighting in not delighting. Trying to hold that up just like a Pharisee does, or we could use the words of Christ, a hypocrite, and say that I'm better than you are. And that's not Christianity. That's not what Christ has called us to. Because we were created to seek the approval of heaven. And God intends to give us a reward. And you know what the reward is? Himself. The greatest object of your desiring is summed up in one name. Say it with me. Jesus. Some of you didn't know it. You know it now. Say it. Jesus height of our longing, looking forward to something is, is good. And Christ has come to show us what our hearts should be longing for. We are longing for Him because we know that only Jesus satisfies. Some of you still maybe not convinced, and so I think that we need a little help. Somebody who's more eloquent than, than your preacher who can try to help us wade through these waters. I don't want any confusing and following Christ about seeking rewards. No confusion about that. And so the best help that I've found on the subject is a man by the name of C.S. Lewis. C.S. Lewis wrote an essay. And the essay is called The Weight of Glory. It's about nine pages. It's great. We're going to read the whole thing right here. No, I'm just kidding. We're just going to read just a moment of it. It's good. Listen carefully. Listen to what he says. The New Testament has lots to say about self-denial. But not about self-denial as an end in itself. We're told to deny ourselves and take up our crosses in order that we may follow Christ. And nearly every description of what we shall ultimately find, if we do so, contains an appeal to desire. Did you hear that? Contains an appeal to desire. If there lurks in most modern minds the notion that to desire our own good and earnestly to hope for the enjoyment of it is a bad thing, I submit that the notion has crept in from Immanuel Kant, who is a philosopher, and the Stoics, who were other philosophers. And this is no part of the Christian faith. Indeed, if we consider the unpublished promises of reward and the staggering nature of the reward promised in the gospel, it would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. Did you hear that? It would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer 
of a holiday at the sea, we are far too easily pleased. Don't be too easily pleased. Long for the greatest reward there is. If you have the choice, go back to that clip. You don't have to play it, but you remember it in your mind. Earlier in the sermon when we played Moonlight Sonata by an expert pianist on a grand piano and the other one from somebody's basement who's down there playing on some piano that hadn't been tuned in 40 years. And you knew the difference. And you have both pianos sitting right Which one would you choose? Both are playing a tune. Both are playing an excellent song. One's in tune. One's out of tune. Which one would you choose? You say, preacher, it sounds obvious. Yes, it does. It's obvious once you see the difference. This is why Christ has come. It's obvious. And I pray that it's obvious to you. Then here's the question. Why would we spend our lives pursuing things that don't matter when God has set before us infinite joy, infinite beauty? Why would we even desire anything other than Jesus? Don't be too easily pleased. Long for the greatest reward there is And the greatest reward there is is on the day that is the end of days, the beginning of an eternity with God, with His flaming eyes of fire that pierce through our eyes and sees into our very soul. And He looks at us with the greatest words we could ever hear. Well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of my rest. If our lives are out of tune, we at least have the song. Those who don't know Jesus, they don't even have that. They don't even know that there is such a tune as Beethoven's Moonlight Sonata. They have no idea. How many of you here are willing today to say, you know, my life is out of tune. I need my motivations to be Jesus, only Jesus. How many of you today would be wise enough and brave enough, bold enough to listen to the still small voice in your heart, respond to the call of the Holy Spirit, and you would be wise enough to say, you know, I didn't even know there was such a song as "Tis so sweet to trust in Jesus. But I sure do want to sing it. No matter where you are, you are invited If you're out of tune, you need to be in tune, come. Respond. If you didn't even know there's a song, but you want to play the song, respond. Ask Jesus to save you. Either way, respond to the gospel of grace. And do so even now. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for your love. Thank you for a song to sing. Thank You for a life to live. Thank You for Jesus. Father, for those whose lives need to be tuned up, tune us up, Lord. For those who need to sing the song for the first time, may they right now in this quiet moment say, Lord, teach me the song of Your grace. May they say, Lord, let me trust in You. I believe. 
Father, whatever decision people need to make, may they make it not only in the quiet of their hearts, but may they make it publicly so that we can encourage them to continue to walk on this Jesus way and follow you wherever you go. In Jesus' name we pray. And all of God's people said, Amen. We pray God will use this message for His glory in your life. If you would like more information, please feel free to contact us at info at OxfordBaptistChurch.com. Oxford Baptist Church is located in Oxford, Georgia. If you're close, we'd love to meet you.